Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Today at Queen's Park, the mayor of Burlington was there meeting with the um, Minister of Municipal Affairs, a bunch of other mayors, and surprised a few folks, probably more than a few folks, and I think surprised may be a, an understated verb, uh, but surprised a few folks when he asked the province to make Waterdown, which is part of Amalgamated Hamilton, to make Waterdown a part of Burlington. I had not seen this coming. I don't think a lot of people had seen this coming, but this is now on the table. And wanted to bring in the mayor of Burlington who made this proposal today. He is Rick Goldring. He joins us now. Sir, thanks for doing this today. You're welcome, Scott. I have been trying. Now, I may have just completely overlooked something here, but I've been trying to think of another case where part of one city was requested to be taken over by another city in recent years. Am I forgetting or is this a rarity at at best? Well, it happened about uh, 18 years ago uh, when one of my predecessors, Mayor Rob McIsaac, uh, wanted water down to be part of Burlington. So um, the idea has been, been floating around for some time, and, it, and it's not a new idea. But the but for it to actually happen, can you think of another example where it's actually happened? I, I can't. Uh, I can't think of another example where it's actually happened, no. Okay, right. okay. So, so what would be the thought behind, like when you go forward and you bring this, take a second or two, take a moment or two, and explain what the thinking is and why this would be beneficial. So, so for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, you know, the big issue that municipalities in the province of Ontario have to deal with is the Provincial Places to Grow Act. And um, the Provincial Places to Grow Act uh, can force municipalities to grow in, in ways that are not uh, representative of the values of the communities, particularly when you are finished with greenfield development, as is the case of Burlington. Uh, we have virtually no more room. Uh, to build single-family homes. Um, with 50% of Burlington's in the green belt, and the vast majority of people are proud of that and want to protect the green belt from development. But that does mean that within Burlington, um, our current future state is intensification, infill, and redevelopment, and municipal councils need to have control as to how that happens. We need to have better tools to make sure that happens in an orderly and planned and thoughtful manner. And so that was a big focus of the discussion today. And in the case of of Burlington, um, I suggested that the Minister of Municipal Affairs consider adding water down uh, to the city of Burlington uh, to help alleviate our growth pressures in our downtown and other areas of the city to intensify and provide some fairness for Burlington taxpayers who for years have been directly impacted by the growth in water down that's created new demands on, on Burlington's infrastructure. You know, it's interesting that the city of Hamilton is paying 95% of the cost to widen Waterdown Road in Burlington because of all the growth and development that's happening in, happening in Waterdown. Uh, Kearns Road, uh, you know, near Brant Street, in between um, uh, Waterdown and Brant Street, uh, had to be blocked to southbound traffic because there was so much of it as a result of development uh, from Waterdown, the people were, were driving down Kearns Road, which is a residential road, and we had to, we had to minimize that. So there's been a, a number of impacts on Burlington um, as a result of the growth and development in, in Waterdown. And there is natural affinity uh, for people that live in Waterdown. There's so many people that live in Waterdown that used to live in Burlington. Um, there's an obvious uh, connection. I got an email from somebody today suggesting this would be a wonderful thing because all her kids are enrolled in extracurricular, extracurricular programs in Burlington. The ones in Hamilton are not convenient access to her, and they spend far more time in Hamilton, or far more time in Burlington uh, than they do in Hamilton, and, and that's the case for, uh, for many people. There's a lot of things you said there. We're not going to be able to get to all of them because it was, uh, as I say, there were a lot of points you made. Uh, But the first one, when you talk about the problems and and the difficulty right now with all of your room for single-family dwellings basically gone, and so this would alleviate some of that, would this not simply, though, be taking some of your problems and dumping them onto Hamilton and saying, now they're your problems to deal with? Because then Hamilton would be tight on space. Um, well, we'd have to look at that. As I said, this is this is an idea to consider, and there obviously has to be some very uh, thoughtful discussion uh, led by the Minister of uh, Municipal Affairs. Um, I know they're going to be doing a review uh, in some form of municipal government uh, in the next uh, next years of their t- their term. And uh, when I brought up the idea 
uh, to ministry staff, uh, nobody was said this idea was completely outrageous. And I wonder if you could just go back, because maybe I just missed it, but one of the comments you've made, and it's a, it's a comment that we love to hear, obviously, all of us do, that it, this would be a win-win for taxpayers. Explain again how this, for Burlington, for Waterdown, for anybody, how this is going to, is going to help the taxpayer. Well, certainly there has to be some, some, some thoughtful analysis um, you know, in order to consider this particular idea. But if Burlington is in, in gate, are incurring costs, as a result of as a result of the impacts of water down growth on Burlington, uh, then we would uh, pick up the development charge uh, funds and the uh, property taxes uh, to help pay for those costs. Mr. Mayor, there was a, a after this happened today, and, and the mayor Hamilton, who will be coming on next, Fred Eisenberger, was saying that he hadn't been aware of this, and his response, this, this suggestion, his response, I, as I heard, as reported, was that well, if you want to do this. Hamilton will make a request to the province that Burlington be annexed into Hamilton, and let's just make one big mega city in southern Ontario in the Golden Horseshoe. And I don't know if he was being entirely serious or firing back in that way. We'll find out in a few minutes. But it raised a number of questions from people who said, why don't we do this? Why don't we decide to just have one big mega city and try, and if we're really going to save money for taxpayers... Why don't we just go with the one big city plan and get one bureaucracy and one series of, or, of, of employees? What about that idea? Well, it'll be interesting to see what the, the province does because I do know that they are, um, there's talk of them reviewing uh, regional government. So does that mean um, that there would be one city of Halton as opposed to Burlington, Halton Hills, Oakville, uh, and Milton? Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what uh, the province is thinking. Uh, once they get through their uh, current challenges with the city of Toronto. The the other suggestion that seemed to be very popular today, some politicians were raising it and some other people, was that, all right, if Waterdown was, if there was ever going to be a serious move this way, that Waterdown was in fact going to go, would there be a swap back the other way? Now, you're not exactly trading municipalities like trading cards. I guess I'm not really suggesting that, but the idea of, of you know, Aldershot coming back to Hamilton, is there, if this was to happen, have you thought through how this might work and whether anything would come back? No, I don't, I don't see anything going back. I think you look at a, at a map, you look at the natural connections with uh, Waterdown and, and Burlington and the transportation routes and the ability to uh, coordinate transit more effectively uh, between both communities, there's a natural uh, connection. There's a natural boundary at uh, at Highway Six. Um, I, I think to look at to to throw Aldershot into discussion. Uh, I, I don't know the basis for that, but there has been some history of this idea being considered in the past uh, about Waterdown being part of Burlington. And I'm suggesting that the province take a look at that. Clearly, uh, you are the mayor of Burlington, and we understand that, and so your obligations are to the citizens of Burlington. However, it was also pointed out today that Hamilton has spent millions on development in Waterdown and relies and bases its budgets on the millions of dollars in taxes coming from Waterdown. Would, would Hamilton be eligible for any kind of payback from the city of Burlington for this? Obviously, if this idea has merit and the Ministry of Municipal Affairs is interested in looking at this, there has to be a, a, a very thorough analysis of the impacts on Waterdown, on Hamilton overall, as well as the city of Burlington. You know, I am floating the idea that from a, a point of view of the natural affinity of Waterdown and Burlington and the fact that this idea has been uh, discussed before, uh, a decade and a half ago, that there's merit in looking at it again, based on current circumstances. You know, Hamilton and Burlington, I've never known, and now I've only been in this city for, well, since the late 80s, so it's been a while now, but I've never known the two to sort of not get along. Do you run the risk when, with this suggestion of creating a rift with Hamilton? And does that matter? Well, I mean, I can understand why you would, you would ask that question, but I'm, I'm hoping that this idea, if it has merit with the Ministry of Municipal Affairs, uh, that we can have a thoughtful and, and uh, thoughtful discussion and pragmatic discussion uh, about the issue and, and see what the outcome would be of a proper analysis. It is an ab- it is an intriguing idea for sure. You caught a lot of people off guard today, but uh, you have certainly generated a lot of conversation, and I certainly appreciate you coming on and talking about it today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate your time. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting about Mayor Rick Goldring of Burlington, his proposal today at Queen's Park that Burlington take over Waterdown. It no longer be part of the amalgamated city of Hamilton, that it be shoved over into Burlington's table, and that they now be part, Waterdown be part of Burlington. Well, the other side of the argument, I'm assuming comes from Hamilton's mayor, Fred Eisenberger, uh, who joins us now. Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. Hi, Scott. I, uh, am I correct that you were a little caught off guard and a little surprised by this today? Uh, not, not just a little, uh, totally. Uh, this is a complete uh, blind side. Uh, you know, I think the mayor ought to apologize, quite frankly, because I think it's, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, this kind of uh, throw-it-up-in-the-air kind of back-of-a-napkin planning idea just comes out of the blue in the middle of an election and you know what, uh, not at all helpful and uh, certainly not a topic that I'm prepared to discuss in any way, shape, or form. Uh, well, hopefully you are for the next five or ten minutes. <laughs> well, I, sure, but, I'll give you some details. Yeah, yeah but no. I, I mean, the details like the, you know, the amount of uh, investment we've made in, uh, in Waterdown, uh, you know, Twin Pad Arena, new library and seniors hub. Uh, you know, we, we, tens of millions of dollars has been invested by the city of Hamilton to the benefit of uh, the citizens of Waterdown. So this whole notion that there's a greater benefit to be had by going to uh, to Burlington is actually ludicrous. And, and the reality is, and I would hope that, that, that the Halton Regional Council would weigh into this, because the lion's share of whatever cost they may take on would not land in Burlington, would actually land in, in the residents of Halton. And so, uh, you know, this is a, you know, this is a flyer. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I really don't understand. I, I've had great respect for the for Mayor Goldring, and we've had a great relationship. I don't know where this is coming from, except to say. That you know he's been a you know a, a, a huge supporter of intensification in uh, in Burlington. Uh, that seems to be an election issue, and uh, he's trying to lay blame on you know places to grow and other other issues as to why you know that that has been uh, part of his support. I, I, that, that's the only thing I can think of, and clearly I'm not going to get pulled into you know localized uh, politics in Burlington. No, but you, I mean, it, it certainly sounds, you were listening when he was being, when he was on here a few minutes ago. He, yeah. he doesn't sound like he's not serious about this. This is absolutely serious. It sounds like a very serious motion to do, to try to do this. Well, maybe serious on his part, but it's not serious on our part. And I think it's, uh, it, it's actually the tail wagging the dog. So, you know, we're, uh, we're a, a city of some 550,000 people. Uh, they're, a, they're a municipality of, uh, you know, a little over 180. Uh, you know the the reality is that if there's the efficiency to be efficiencies to be had, the efficiencies are actually going by by uh, you know annexing Burlington into Hamilton as opposed to the other way around. Well, you suggested so, that earlier today. Were you saying that seriously, or was no, that a? I think, I think both of these conversations are ridiculous uh, at this point. Uh, you know, there's there's no merit in any, either 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 of that happening. Quite frankly. Uh, there's, you know, and throwing this out as a flyer, as a kind of a trial balloon and, and, and going to the premier and, and, and saying that in front of the premier without actually communicating and getting any evidence or any detail behind it uh, on the table first is, uh, you know, I think somewhat irresponsible. So I'm not sure what, what the rationale for him is. Uh, clearly, it's an election issue, and uh, that's, uh, I'm sure, a factor for him. Uh, but it's certainly not something that uh, we are in any way prepared to entertain. And, and there's good, strong rationale as to why that should never happen. And, you know, contiguous to other municipalities is what all municipalities deal with. There are boundaries and borders. And, you know, we have a, a city that has an escarpment running through it. And that runs through Waterdown, and it runs through Dundas, and it runs through Ancaster, and it runs all the way through the, uh, the center of the city of Hamilton all the way to Stony Creek. So uh, we're pretty contiguous and nicely tied together, and we've made some uh, really important investments in Waterdown. And again, you know, if I if I add it up, I'm looking at a list here. It's probably to the tune of some fifty million dollars. And so, uh, you know, what we're uh, we're 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 well invested, and we're looking forward to continuing to help develop uh, Waterdown in a uh, non-intensive, but certainly in a proactive and positive way to provide benefits to the citizens of Waterdown. Other than the inv- and maybe the investment is the answer, but other than the investment, why would it be a negative? What, how would it hurt Hamilton if Waterdown was to leave? Because there, there would, they would be taking away uh, development land that we uh, we are already in the process of developing. There's some 165 net eight hectares of land already in the development uh, you know phase, so all, already ready for commercial and industrial development. 
uh, you know, what, why, why would we give that away when we made that investment already? Uh, there's uh, some 5,000 potential residential units already proposed in draft plan uh, stage that, uh, that are in, in, the, in the queue in terms of uh, development. So there's just far too much uh, at stake and, and, and involved now, considering the 18 plus years that we've been, you know, sharing the benefit of the, uh, the efficiencies and the, the, uh, the resources that we've been able to pull together for all the citizens of Hamilton, including Waterdale. So would this simply be a case then if Burlington's got problems with their density, so this is just a case of dumping their problem onto you? Pretty much. Uh, you know what, if, the, if they're, they're looking to intensify or if they, need, they feel the need to intensify, and again, I think the mayor was fully supportive of that, uh, their, uh, their, their land mass is uh, you know, pretty much built out. Uh, so they're looking to, uh, to uh, you know, bring their intensification, in fact, to Waterdown. And uh, that certainly isn't something that uh, I think is reasonable, nor, nor you know, something that uh, Hamiltonians or, or Waterdownians should accept. Uh, and based on your answers, I suspect I know where this answer is going to go. But Sam Marula, Councillor Marula today, again, sort of loosely in a tweet, I, I don't take it too seriously, but throw out the idea that I raised with, with Mayor Goldring of, well, if, if you want to do this, is there a land swap possibility? That sounds so flippant. I mean, is that, that doesn't happen, does it? No. And again, you know what, uh, you know, these things, uh, you know, take an awful lot of analysis and research. And, you know, I think on the outset, uh, that should have been done long before somebody launches a kind of flyer idea like this. Uh, you know, whether, you know, whether there's any merit in this at all. Uh, Aldershot, uh, you know, used to be part of Hamilton, in fact. Uh, and, you know, as, as a result, we have LaSalle Park uh, right in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, some have suggested maybe this is a strategy to get LaSalle Park back into the Burlington fold. God knows we tried. Uh, you know, the mayor, uh, Goldring, and I put on a pretty strong effort to actually have that happen. And uh, there are some con- some, some uh, rationale built around Aldershot being part of the harbor and bay area that, uh, you know, at, at some point way back down the road was thought to be uh, something that might have been sensible. Today, we're so built up and so built out and so so connected in our municipality as well as they are in Burlington that, you know, doing these kind of swaps just doesn't make any sense at all. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mr. Mayor, you were saying before the break about the investment that Hamilton has put into Waterdown in the $50 million range, give or take. Do you know offhand what the amount of taxes that come in from Waterdown? Because that would be a factor too, I'm assuming, is that you've made budgets based on that amount of residential taxes that will be coming in from there. Yeah, not off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, I, I think we've already asked our staff to start accumulating some of this information just to prepare ourselves. So I, I don't have a, a, an, an off the top of my head, and I'm not going to guess. Uh, I did hear uh, Councillor Partridge uh, say that she was, uh, you know, open to having that discussion because taxes in, uh, in uh, you know, Hamilton were too high. Ironically, uh, you know, I never heard uh, that councillor actually suggest that we shouldn't make any of the investments we've made because, uh, you know, that would have kept taxes down. And so, uh, you know, it's ironic that we have, you know, a couple of folks that are actually trying to stir this up. And uh, I, I think that's very unfortunate. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no gain to be had here. And, you know, back in 2000, uh, when we, the amalgamation discussions were happening, uh, the offer was actually made to Burlington to say, you know, everything, you know, west of, or west of uh, Highway 6, uh, you, know, you know, is it something that you would like to consider to take on? And uh, the answer was no, uh, because it was, uh, seemed to be uh, too costly for them to take on. And so uh, I'm not sure what's changed over the years, except we've done some really great positive uh, investments and developments in Waterdown. Of course, it's, uh, it's moving along very nicely. And, uh, and uh, you know, the park spaces are great. Uh, the water systems are being improved. Uh, uh, the bypass, uh, the, the uh, Parkside or Highway 5 by- bypass, the uh, land acquisition is actually happening. And we're going to continue to push to uh, get those lands uh, acquired so that we can start uh, working on that bypass. That's a multi-million dollar project. So uh, lots is on the books and uh, on its way. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I would say that uh, if I were in Waterdown right now, I would, I'd be wondering why, why Burlington is so keen on that. Well, I mean, you have heard, I'm not breaking any news to you, you have heard criticisms over the years from rural residents, including those in Waterdown, that they don't have the same services, they don't have the same transit opportunities as those in the rest of the cities. In the rural side, for sure. And that, that's, that's the rural argument, uh, you know, throughout the entire city of Hamilton. And I, 
you know, I would like to think that at some point we get to, uh, you know, we have the area rating, we had the area rating to, uh, to account for that. And what happened was that, uh, that uh, it, it didn't dif- differentiate between urban and rural. And so at some point we, we, uh, we had to, uh, you know, make that equation uh, a little bit more accurate. And that we did that on most everything except for transit. And so today, uh, you know, the, uh, the area rating still applies. And uh, what we need to get to is an urban and rural split. So for those that are living in urban areas that are getting the benefit of all the services that we provide as a collective city, they should be paying the same rate. And for those that are in the rural area, uh, should not be paying for the services that they're never going to have. And uh, I think that would be the right thing to do. Based on that, uh, and it, maybe it's based on that, maybe it's based on other things, uh, Mayor Goldring says that they have some research or some evidence that a lot of people in Waterdown feel they have more in common with folks in Burlington and would like to go there. Uh, a, do you buy that? And B, does it make a difference? Uh, I don't necessarily buy that. I mean, that's a subjective statement. I don't know what evidence he has to uh, to back that up. And, uh, you know, there, has there been... Uh, has there been uh, out of the amalgamation process, Flamborough was the least willing. I would say that that would that would be true. But that's we're we're 18 years past that now. Uh, there may be some in, in Flamborough still that want to uh, you know to separate and you know free Flamborough. Uh, I, I think that is less now than it's ever been before. It's largely because we 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 have we've not starved water down from the investments that uh, some people were worried weren't going to happen as a result of being uh, amalgamated into the the new city of Hamilton. And so uh, the benefit has been spread around to all parts of our municipality, including Waterdown, in a significant way. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the rationale would be today to say that we're unhappy because uh, those investments have been significant. Chad Collins, Councillor Collins, today I understand brought a motion forward to try and get in front of this. What was that motion? Uh, the motion asked for uh, you know specific investments that have been made in Waterdown, so a listing of that. And uh, as well as uh, as uh, tax revenues, I think uh, that uh, that are have accumulated over the years that uh, we were getting out of uh, out of Waterdown. Uh, any potential land that is in the kind of uh, Waterdown urban area that's uh, set set ready and primed for investment, uh, you know, the volume of of which has already been done. So he's looking for all of that information that we talked about a little while ago. You know, how much has been invested. Where has it been put uh, in terms of uh, whether it's parks or arenas or roads or libraries, uh, you know, all the investments we've made, and uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the tax the tax benefits that uh, have accrued to uh, to to Waterdown residents as well as to the city of Hamilton. Yeah, you mentioned a moment ago or off the top when we began talking that you're not taking this all that seriously, but it sounds like you're taking it seriously enough to at least gather some information and have some sort of defense ready in case someone else takes it seriously. Well, and, and clearly, uh, you know, since this has been taken to the province and uh, kind of laid in their lap, I, I guess, in some manner or another, which I, I think was very unfortunate, as I, I can say again, you know, normally you would uh, at least give some, some other municipality the heads up that you're about to do this. Uh, but since that's been done, then, uh, you know, we need to prepare ourselves if, if, if this actually starts to see the light of day. It shouldn't. Uh, I think that it should, be, uh, it should be ignored as a, you know, either a ploy or, a, you know, an election issue. Or It is silly season, so you know, lots of things might uh, be thrown out there that, uh, you know, may or may not have value. And I, I don't think this one has any merit at all. But uh, if, if, if uh, you know, there's a chance that someone will look at this and say, boy, we should have a look at that that we want to be ready with all the information uh, available to let them know what uh, the benefits of uh, Waterdown being part of our Hamilton community has has been and uh, and what it will continue to be going forward. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, though, for hour number two. Usually here on Monday nights, last night, I was out doing the school board meeting for the other job over at The Spectator, covering it for the naming of the Bernie Custis School, which, thank goodness, and to the school board, you did it right, and congratulations for doing it and for pulling it off, but you you did it. The name Bernie Custis is going to be on the school across from Tim Hortons Field, as it should. But that means that Don was off last night and is in tonight. Thanks for coming in on a different day today. Yep. I've been here for 24 hours. What's that? I've been here for 24, 24 hours. hours. Yeah, waiting at the back door. We're just banging on the back door. I, I can get confused easily. Um, yeah, 
Uh, it was, uh, I, I mean, yesterday was great. I was glad to see that the city did it. I was glad to, not the city, the school board, you know, we, we dump on politicians, we dump on trustees, we dump on school boards at times for things they do, but you know what, when they do it right, they deserve to be praised for it as well. And they did it right. And it's the right name and it's the right place and it's the right name on the right place and good for them. And I just wanted to say that. They seem to have taken a circuitous route to get there, but they got there. Doesn't matter. I mean, it, look, it, it, it's still going to be. It, it, at the end of the day, it's not the Bernie right. Custis school that would have been blah, blah, blah. It's not all a big hyphenated long name. It's the Bernie Custis Secondary School. How they got there doesn't really matter. And they got there and, you know, the, 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 the point that some trustees made in the meeting, and if you don't know what we're talking about, by the way, Bernie Custis, the first black quarterback in professional football history, came to Hamilton, came to the Ticats. This city gave him his chance, but he was also a coach at McMaster and at Sheraton, and he was an educator for over 30 years, and they named this school after him, and it's the one right across from Tim Horton's field. And some comments were made at the meeting yesterday that, well, if this school was being built two blocks in either direction, Bernie Custis's name wouldn't even be in the conversation. And my answer to that would be, A, why in the world not? Because he is literally the perfect person that you would want to honor as a trailblazer, as a hero, as a winner, as an educator, as a mentor, as a hero, as a leader, as on and on and on. But besides that, it isn't two blocks in either direction. It is right across the street from the stadium. And we have this city did something that no other city in the world would do and gave a black man a chance at that time, which is something we should be very proud of. And we can be now. And so when the TV cameras are showing Ticat games or whatever else from there now, they're going to catch the Bernie Custis school. And that's, that's a fantastic thing. It's a great story, isn't it? I mean, it's, it really is. And the lady or the trustee that thought if it was two blocks either way, She's probably running uh, for re-election right now. Maybe. And you know what? Look, I, I, I said to Bill Kelly earlier today, I am never going to criticize someone's passion. I would rather have people with passionate opinions than being apathetic and going, oh, whatever. And she had a different opinion, and that's totally fine. I disagreed with the opinion. I respect that she had an opinion. I'm glad she had an opinion. But I'm glad that as a group, the majority of the school board trustees came to the right decision. Anyway, that's my point. You can agree. You can disagree. My email is always available for you if you choose to let me know one way or the other, radley at 900chml.com. I will say, though, Don, that probably nothing I've written in the paper since January 1st of 2018, nothing I've written this calendar year has elicited anywhere close to the feedback. 99.9% positive that this one has, and not about what I wrote, just about the the story that Bernie Custis was having a school named after him. And that, that to me is terrific. There's a few people who, again, have their reasons and that's okay, but almost everybody is thrilled for Bernie, whether they knew him or not, or if they just know the story that he is going to be honored this way. Yeah, it's great. It's well done. Let's talk about someone else, because uh, we're going to be talking a few minutes uh, here for some sports stuff. Um, while we're talking about guys who should be honored, shouldn't be honored, there was a suggestion that was thrown out there, and I don't know how serious it was, but it was serious enough that somebody put it in writing online, and I don't, I mean, a, a journalist. It was not a social media flippant Twitter thing. It was a, a writer. That we should be, that the Blue Jays should be considering... John Gibbons' name to be put on the level of excellence at Rogers Center. What would you say to that? The outgoing, not-to-be-returning manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. I like John Gibbons. I like his casual approach to his interviews and the way he talks. And I think he can coach kids. I think he could coach a young team, manage a young team. I think he has tremendous skills. Um... I'm not sure the wall of excellence is the appropriate place to put is him. Is he I'd one th- of the 10 or 12 greatest Blue Jay players or employees of all time? I I would have trouble putting him in the top 10 or 12, to be honest with you, and I'd have to see who's there and 
since you give me no time to no, but contemplate I'd, these things off the top of my head, I don't think I'd rush him up there right away. I'd have a hard time putting him in the top five managers. Cito Gaston is certainly ahead of him. Bobby Cox is certainly ahead of him. Bobby Cox might be ahead of him because of what he did after he was with the Blue Jays. But so. Bobby Cox, don't forget, took a really young team at that time and took them to the 85 champion, that, that division he championship. He that, did. Uh, and if he'd stuck around, probably would have won a World Series or maybe would have won a World Series. We don't know. Um, there, Look, I... I hear this and I, I, I think to myself, John Gibbons comes across, I, I don't think I've ever talked to him in person that I know of, um, that I recall. He comes across as a great guy, as a guy you would love to sit down and have a coffee or a beer or something or a hamburger with. He seems like one of the all-time good guys and he seems to me like a guy who was a manager who was as good as the players that he had. When he had a loaded team, he was a really good manager. And when well, he had a bad team... All managers seem to be a little better when they have a loaded team. Of course they do. But there are also... There is no evidence, in my mind, that as good a guy as John Gibbons might be, there is no evidence to me that John Gibbons made his teams better. Even in, go back to 2015, the year they finally turned the corner and got to the playoffs, the Bautista bat flip year. July 30th, before they made the trades to bring in David Price and Troy Tulowitzki and Ben Revere and all those guys, they were a 500 team. Yeah, but how good was Cito Gaston when he didn't have the horses? You know better than John Gibbons or worse. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps Cito Gaston won a championship. He won two championships. With horses. Oh. With horses. Oh, you're, you're never going to win with nobody. That's no, like, I know, but you just said John Gibbons got better in 2015 after the big trades in July. Cito Gaston got a lot better when he had better players. Well, I think the key to a guy's success as a manager is a guy that can make what he's got better. So if he's got some guys that he can get banner years out of that nobody else has ever been able to do or find that diamond in the rough and provide the confidence, give him the opportunity to make him do things that nobody else has ever been able to do as a manager with the guy, then you're talking. But just to have great players play well when there's actually room in the um, when there's room in the lineup for errors going, all right, do I do I run with um, Ricky Henderson or you know who do I run with? I mean, there, there's lots of room for error, but good managers and Gibson's probably done that with some players, has made them better than they've ever been before. The first baseman whose name escapes me last year hit seven thousand home runs, Smoke. and this year he's still not a bad player. Like you know. When you can get guys like that to have banner years, I think you can give the manager credit. I don't know if he goes on the Wall of Fame. Well, Cito Gaston, to go back to your point, I had to look it up, so I've got it on my fingertips. You don't, but it might, might just to get the numbers. Back in 1988-89, when Jimmy 1M Williams was the manager of the Blue Jays, Jimmy, uh, <laughs> they came out in 1989 and were terrible. They were 12-24 and 24 to start the season. And Cito Gaston got... Williams got fired, Gaston got hired as the interim manager, and they went from being a 333 team, a crappy team, to being a great team. Well, that, that to me is something to do with the manager. That's whether it's, now, whether it's now, actually working the bullpen or just how he treats the guys in the room or whatever it is. So let me ask you this, though, because I don't know, hence the question. Is it because Cito Gaston was a magician? And I'm a big fan of Cito Gaston, so let's be clear. Uh, I like guys that win, and he won. Um, or it was uh, Jimmy 1M's ineptness to be able to Could do be. the job. Could be. Could be a combination Could of both Could be a both combination of, of both. Uh, although, again, I go to, if you're looking at the wall of honor there, or, or sort of the level of excellence there, or the wall of honor at Tim Hortons Field for Ticats or whatever, to me, you should be in the absolute elitist of the elite. And I'm thinking of the Blue Jays who, who are up there. It's, you know, Steve and Tony Fernandez and Joe Carter and Robbie Alomar and I, I th Gaston's up there and Paul Beeston is up there and Pat Gillick is up there. I mean, there's not a lot of guys. I can't even remember who else might be up there. 
Joe Carter? I said, yeah, I said Carter. But, and of the Jays in the last five years, even through this winning thing, Jose Bautista will go up there, I'm sure. I don't think Edwin Encarnacion is going to go up there. He wasn't here long enough, and he wasn't really good all that long. He was really good when he was really good, but it wasn't for all that long. I don't think he makes it. Maybe he does. I don't know. Um, Roy Halladay's up there. But, I mean, you're talking about guys who are either Hall of Famers or going to be Hall of Famers or are legends. You want it to be a pretty prestigious place. And if you think about it in that light, I don't know if John Gibbons should be in that prestigious place. Never won a championship. Got fired twice. Got he will have been fired. Well, yeah, he's fired. I mean, he's basically fired this year. But I mean, yeah, he's he's yeah, been let go twice. Contract, not going to bring him back. That's he's been not... let go twice. Uh, Cito left twice. Yeah, but he won two championships. Still got let go twice. Well, it's, yeah, we, I guess if you come back tw- a second time, you're going to be let go a second time. That's the life of a man. Or did he retire? I don't remember. I, I don't think he did. I think they hoofed him. With with all these things. I think that sports franchises have begun to diminish the level of the people they put up a lot of times or retire numbers or whatever else for a variety of reasons. A, because different generations want to have that experience. And it's a great marketing thing. If you're going to have Jersey retirement night for so-and-so, you can fill the stands. It's a guaranteed sold-out crowd in most places if you're going to do that. Not always, but... And there's a marketing opportunity for T-shirts and for other things. I... I hate when mediocre people are turned into superstars. Drives me nuts because the superstars, the real stars are the ones that deserve to be well, in it, that position. It, when you let mediocre in, it really it really diminishes the accomplishments of the great players. Sure it does. Sure it does. Um, the one Hall of Fame that may have it down as well as anybody is the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. Yeah, and they get criticized because it's so hard to get in that some guys don't get in. That Dave Steeb never got close. Dave Steeb back in the '80s, using a Blue Jay as an example, was inarguably one of the top two pitchers for yes. most of the '80s. He and Jack Morris, neither one got in. Well, Jack Morris and the, he did eventually. Jack Morris did eventually through the Veterans Committee, but in, through the voting that's procedure, because he that's because he um, annoyed uh, a lot of journalists. Yeah, and they vote. Yeah, but regardless, Dave Steeb never got even close. Dave Steeb dropped off the ballot because he didn't get the minimum number. It is really, really, really hard Versus to get the in. the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hockey Hall of Fame has gotten better. It's it's a lot tougher now, but there was some lean years when all you had to have been on is a couple or three Stanley Cup teams and you became a superstar because of... Clark Gillies. Was that, one that was the name on top of my head, right? Yeah, it, it, Bill Barber. I mean, well, I, I I loved the Flyers back in the seventies. I loved Bernie Pro. I'm not sure that I would say that Bill Barber was a. I'm not. I'm not sure that uh, um, Ken Dryden uh, was all that excited when Clark Gillies got in, and or Bobby Hull or you know name. Well. Mario, right? You mentioned an interesting name because I still think Ken Dryden was the most overrated goalie in hockey history. When you're playing behind Larry Robinson and Serge Savard and Guy Lapointe, and you've seen me play goal, I could have been okay back there. Nonetheless, different discussion for a different day. Um, No, I... I I have to watch my language on this. (laughs) I look at the way that franchises honor players now, and I think it should be difficult to be on it. I don't think we want to have, you know, last year, I can't remember which team it was in, in California, one of the NHL teams had a retirement for somebody that I, I, I can't even remember what the player was, or maybe it was Cal, maybe it was Colorado anyway. And they had a Jersey retirement, a sweater retirement. And I'm hearing this going, I could not tell you three facts about that player. And I like to think I'm a pretty close observer of the game and no stuff. I don't know anything about this guy. How is he one of the greatest players? Because if you're going to have your number retired, the New York Rangers, who have been around for how many years? 100 years? Oh, 2019 when they bought the Hamilton Tigers, wasn't it? Uh, 1919. 1925. No, the 19, 1925, the Hamilton Tigers went and became the New York Americans. They're not the New York Rangers. The Rangers already existed at that they point. They did? Yep. I thought they became the Rangers. Nope. So, I was in high school that year. <laughs> And I think they've got eight numbers retired. 
Uh, Toronto has very few because they didn't used to retire numbers at all. Montreal's got a bunch. Detroit doesn't have a ton. Chicago doesn't have a ton. I mean, it's really, really rare to have your number retired in the NHL. And, and Toronto honor numbers. Too. Toronto honors numbers. And of honored numbers, they probably have 20. But they've been around since 1917 when they were the St. Yeah. Patrick's. Uh, and you see this, again, I think it was Colorado, honor a guy with a number of retirement. You go, what? Really? Of If you look around the NHL and you look at the names of the people who have had their numbers retired and you're going to put this person in that category? Who I don't know. And I don't think it was just me. Nobody knew anything about this person. He was an okay hockey player that somehow someone decided, hey, let's retire his number. What really doesn't diminish the other ones that are retired because they didn't have any or many? They've got a few. They've got, I think they retired. Uh, do, they they, may- do they keep Stastny's out because he was with Quebec? Well, I mean, that's a tricky one with the, with the Quebec thing. But nonetheless, it diminishes. If you were to put, if you were to put John Gibbons up on the Blue Jays' level of excellence, without a championship, without a World Series appearance, without some evidence that he, despite those things, see, if you've won something, then we can have a conversation. But without those things, despite those things that are missing, no evidence that he made the team dramatically better through his great managerial work. No clue who tweeted out what you just what what. It wasn't a, this. no, it wasn't a tweet. It was a it was a written piece okay. by a, a a respected writer. Was that a Rogers employee? Might have been. Now, I again, I understand, but it, that's the fact that it was thrown out there that somebody actually thought this was a an idea worth contemplation. You know the reason I asked that of because his, during the Rogers ownership, he may be the best they have, and they better start saying we've had some great guys too since we took over. But they have had good. I mean, I say in any era of the Blue Jays, just about you have had one or two great. I mean, great players. Go back. I mean, in the the problem is they can't do Batista, and they need to do something well, they will good someday. because their team is not exactly no, they will someday. worth a lot. There wasn't. Well, any, they can't do anything, but Batista he's still playing. No, I know. But in the 70s, they started in 77. There was nobody really. But in the 80s, you had Dave Steve, you had Tony Fernandez. Um, 90s, you had Carlos Delgado. You had Roy Halladay into the 2000s. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was First base on that list. Olerudin. Um no, And then and Carter Olerud. into the 90s. Yeah, Olerudin was on top of the batting championship for Roberto Alomar in the 90s. So, I mean, you had, you've, you've had, in every decade, you've had a couple, and you've got Jose Bautista. He will be up there again. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. These things should be hard to get up Well, then he to. won't be up there. These things should we, be, but. We've decided that. They should be really hard to get up there. And I'm hoping that this doesn't just become a thing where we go, oh, you know what? We need to have a, 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 a day to try and sell a few tickets. It's going to be a slow series against Cincinnati when they come in in an interleague game. Let's make it the John Gibbons level of excellence day. Instead, tell you what, John Gibbons, if you want to honor him, don't put him up there and diminish everyone else. Just give everybody in the ballpark a free beer and everybody raise a toast to John and it'll be like he's sitting around the campfire at home in Texas and everyone will be happy and there you go. Well, the price of beer down there, that would cost them about $32 million. (laughs) That's true. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. In the Buffalo Bills game on the weekend, a player, Vontae Davis, played the first half. Somehow in halftime, as the Bills are being killed, decided, I think I've had enough of this. Got undressed, got into his street clothes, announced his retirement to somebody, and left the building. He retired at the halftime of a game, you've been around players a long, long time. You've been in dressing rooms a long, long time. Why is this? The players who were left were outraged and didn't even hold back. They absolutely shredded this teammate. Why is this such a horrendous, egregious offense in athletics? Because he quit on his teammates. No, he quit on himself. He he did, but he was selfish about it, so they're ripping him. It was all about him. I've had enough. I don't want to play anymore. And then the players start looking at, well, it, and players are all about players. Well, he doesn't want to play with me. He doesn't want to help me win. When in actual fact, it was all about him. 
and then they hate him and then they resent it because it was about him and not about them and they're upset wouldn't though if you were a player wouldn't if a guy just didn't have it in his gut anymore didn't have any fire in his belly to play anymore wouldn't you want him to not be out on the field playing and just say I'd rather you be out of the way and than to be disinterested playing for us I think if I was coaching and somebody come up and said I've had enough I would probably say you know what there's a better way to do this you got a bad knee and you can't play the rest of the game I, for the sake of the player, would have helped him get through it a little better than... Now, the coaches may not have known it, or he might have told the coaches, and the coaches said, do you want me to help you get your gear off? Or he may... I mean, you're right. He may have already been in his street clothes when he told the coach. It's a little bit unclear. But there is a way for coaches, when a guy's that fed up, to say, or you're having a brutal game, and you lean over and say, I think your shoulder's too sore to play. Like there, there's ways to manage it, and for him to just quit on his teammates, I. So does this fall and, then? Some in some ways, does this fall on his coach? I don't think so. I don't think the coach likely knew about it. That would be the problem. If like the coach, if, if, knew. if we're coaching a hockey team, we got 16 guys there. They got 752 on the sidelines in an NFL game. Yeah, but okay, so if he had come, and again, s- scenarios. If he had come up to his coach still in his gear at halftime when they're walking off the field, he's walking by the coach, he goes, that's it, coach, I'm done, I'm retired, Yep. and walked away. Is it partially on his coach then for not protecting the player a little better by saying, listen, just say you've got a sore knee? And unless then- unless the coach is really pissed at him and, and looks at him and says, I wouldn't have it any other way. Do you want a hand to get your gear off? I mean, I, you weren't there, right? Right. N- none of us were there. But there is... There's a lot better scenarios I can see of helping a guy get out of that than just having him walk out. I mean, he's going to be done. What was the final score? They made it a little bit closer, but it was it wasn't like a, a blowout. It wasn't a blowout. It was a loss. It was a, it was a, it wasn't like last week. Last week was a blowout. Yeah. This week was a, was at least competitive in the second half. So it's it also gives the players something to vent about other than the game and how poorly they're playing. Right, it, it it created a different conversation other than so now you're owing two, and it looks like you're going to be owing a thousand again this year. So why don't we just pile up on this guy? Have you ever heard of anyone doing this before? Have you ever heard of any athlete ever? I mean, the only other one that comes even remotely close to mind is uh, Roberto Duran against Sugar Ray Leonard in Montreal with no mas, where he yep. halfway through the fight said, "I'm done." That's the only other one that I can ever think of where the person, where an athlete, a professional athlete. I in pro sports, I, and, and here you go again. It, it may well have happened more But I don't often, remember it. But my point will be is that it may have been managed and handled far better. Where and you know, Bradley didn't finish the game. He's got a bad knee. Now he's going to rehab, and all of a, you know, all of a sudden you just kind of fade away. Well, and the thing within football, and I don't, I don't want to be – promoting dishonesty. That's not what I'm suggesting here. But in football, with the way we're talking about concussions and everything else, it's an injury that is essentially impossible. You, you could go back, and everybody could go back and watch the film. I guarantee you at one point in that game, his helmet came into contact yeah. with another person. You could say, oh, you know, I was seeing stars and I was in concussion protocol. And then he could announce after the game, yeah, you know what, I'm retired it would be in football, especially. It would be so easy to have done that, and just and I just like on both sides. I don't understand why he would do this. I'm with you. I don't understand why he would do this because it's not only this. What team is ever college, pro, whatever is ever going to hire this guy for any kind of coaching position for any kind of anything? There's not a TV network that's going to hire him to be a commentator. This guy's entire—he is a good football player in his career, and his entire—he is now essentially Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner had over 3,000 hits in the major leagues. He was a tremendous baseball player, but when you say Bill Buckner, nobody thinks of any one of those hits. They only think of the ball going through his legs when Mookie Wilson hit it, or when Rain, yeah, Mookie Wilson hit it. This is the same thing. Everything this guy did is gone. All his name now is going to be matched with as he quit midway through the game. Maybe he's good with that. Maybe. I mean, I'd he's have got hard... it when he's taking his gear off 
And when he's getting ready to walk out, he certainly had enough time. Like he didn't jump out of a boat. He had time to sit down, contemplate it, and go, this is going to look stupid, but I just can't do it anymore. I don't care. I don't like these guys. I don't like me. I don't know what he didn't like. But it, you know what I mean? He didn't just. Do you think Monday morning he's going to wake up and go, I'm glad I did that? I don't think there's a 1% chance that on Monday morning he thinks to himself, that was a good move. I think he's thinking, oh. He may have woke up Monday morning and said, I'm glad I'm done. I sure as hell wish I'd have done it a different way. Well, that I agree with. But the different way part, because he's, I mean, he's not even going to be invited back to team functions with his other teams. It's just, it's just, his reputation is completely shredded because he left partway through a game. As I say, other than Roberto Duran, I can't remember ever hearing about something like this. Time will, time will tell us better than today. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've been talking about retirements at halftime. Well, what about guys who retire as the greats of the game? The NFL Hall of Famers, and I don't know if this is all of them who are proposing this or somebody who's starting this and some of them are on board, but there is a discussion being had that next year for the Hall of Fame event at Canton and future years, the Hall of Famers will not show up. They will not be part of the proceedings, all the greats of the game, unless the NFL gives them not just health insurance, but a salary going forward as Hall of Famers because they were the men who built the game, they said, or at least someone is saying on their behalf, they were the men who built the game and therefore they deserve to be paid in perpetuity for their greatness. Now, I'm fully on board with the health insurance thing. They played a game that they deserved, all retired players deserve to some degree to have some sort of health insurance. But I have a hard time with the idea that retired players should be getting a salary from the league as well just because they're in the Hall of Fame. Most of these guys, most of them, earned a pretty healthy salary when they were playing. And who in life, in any other facet of life, when you retire from your business above your pension, gets a salary even if you were... Because they said, look, you, you, you're the guy who runs ComChoice Realty. When you retire, you're going to say, I built this thing, therefore I should have a salary long after I've retired just because I built this. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, now that you bring it up, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I'd be, pension, yes. I would be... Um, pension plan at ComChoice Realty is a little thin, too. Well, but... um, it would mean a lot more to me if they said, and I'm only going on what you've just told me, and I did hear that, is if if they started pushing for the pensions to be increased because across the board for everybody, not just me, not just the Hall of Famers, because now these guys are clearly only looking out for themselves. The poor guy that made the star running back famous, who the guard? Yeah, the guard can't play Scrabble right now because he doesn't know what the 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 uh, what the letters mean. If you're going to speak for him too, fine. If you're only speaking for yourself and I'm a Hall of Famer and I want more money because the league is now filthy rich, nobody made them play the game back then. Nobody made them take the salary they did. They took as much as they could get. They were probably, in their opinion, grossly overpaid. If you could have got an interview with them and it didn't matter anymore, they're going to say, I can't believe they paid me that much money to play a game I loved. So if those guys that were the superstars said, this isn't right, I'm pretty well healed, but I got a lot of buddies that need some help. So you should maybe up the pension, which is the same as saying, give me a salary. But it sounds like these guys are going to try and embarrass the National Football League into saying, we're not supporting you unless you give us a salary. I know what I'd tell them. Well, look, the fact is every single one of these Hall of Famers can go to a card show, can go to a dinner, go to where, and get lots of money. If you're a Hall of Famer in any sport, you can make money on the side. You are going to have endorsement opportunities. You can make a money, you can make a living. Those guys, assuredly, every guy in the uh, Football Hall of Fame, if it's Scott Radley, then you can start making a living by being Scott Radley. Sure, absolutely. You, you, can, you can go to Brene Brith. We've seen that. I've seen that. I, I have sat and... and and I'm torn about this, but I've watched, I spent a day years ago when he came here following Guy Lafleur around 
And Guy Lafleur's life now is not playing hockey. It's being Guy Lafleur. It's almost like he is a an, a, an animatronic of himself that's, that takes pictures and signs autographs. And I, I, quite honestly, I found it in some ways almost a little s- sad that that he knows, and every other athlete, it's not just him, every other athlete who's like him knows that everything they're going to do in their life that's truly impactful is in the past now. Now I am just doing this to make other people happy, which is good. Um, well, they're doing it for a living. They're doing it for a living. Gordy Howe Howe did it till he couldn't do it anymore. But they, as you've pointed out, they can make a living. They can make a nice living doing this stuff. Yeah. So if you are a hall of fame, as you say, a hall of fame running back, there is not, if you go to onto a football field today at any level, every single running back, every single running back will tell you that their greatness is dependent upon the guys up front clearing holes for them. The offensive line is what makes them... Now, they have talent. There are guys who are better than others for sure. But if you're talking about a guy who was a right guard, who never gets into the Hall of Fame, who doesn't have those endorsement opportunities because he's... what I'm with you 100%. You hit the nail on the head. You, that Those Hall of Famers shouldn't be asking for a salary. They should be asking for improved pensions for every other guy. And even to the point, if they have to say, you know what, take my pension money and put it back into the pot as a sign of good faith. I can make tons of money on the side as the money I made in playing and in my endorsements. I can make all that money. Take my money and give it to the other guys and then multiply it by 50 or 100 times. What I didn't say, and I should have, I'm on with the health plan. I'm surprised they don't have it. And if they don't have it, they sure should have it. And a lot of leagues should provide it. I think a lot of leagues do provide it, but I'd be surprised if the NFL don't provide it. But if they don't, for sure, that's probably one of the things now that they're very successful, the most successful sports league in the world, maybe. Uh, don't follow European soccer. But you're right, they, they should be more, because I'm, almost positive there's more running backs and receivers and quarterbacks in the football hall of fame than there are guards and tackles of course those are the guys those aren't sexy positions no they're not at all so if these guys are saying i feel really bad for all these other guys because i've done really well that's fine but based on what you've said is you know what we're in the hall of fame we were the groundbreakers we're the reason this league is is phenomenally successful and you still owe us and they're not worried about the other guys were in the trenches, shame on them. And maybe they are, but that's not how it's coming across well, right now. I said, based on that's what you no, said. That's not how it's coming across right now. And, you know, someone just wrote in, well, about would you give them a bonus? Would you give a bonus to the Hall of Famers in their pension? But they're See, the guys that need it the least. They're the guys that need it. And, and, you know, yes, you're, you're exactly right. If you said we'll give you a bonus because you make it in the Hall of Fame because you've raised extra money, you've made extra money for us, provided that the other guys are getting a proper pension, I don't have a problem if they were to give them a small bonus in your pension, you get an extra 25%, even though you're right, those are the guys that don't really need it. I, I don't have a problem with that yeah, per but se. You know, but you know, when the, you know where the bonus is? The bonus is as soon as Scott Radley is put into the Football Hall of Fame, when you sign the autograph and underneath it you put H O F, that's your bonus. Now, you're and right. that's a huge bonus. It's a huge bonus. And and a guy like, and you don't even need that. I mean, a guy like Pete Rose makes a living off, and he's not, obviously not a football player, but it is, it is, there is a lot of money to be made by those guys who write H O F. Oh, that's the bonus. Don't worry about 25% of the pension. The if bonus you, is HOF. And, and you know, it gets tricky. I'm going to, we got to go. It gets tricky because I grant you, there are some guys th- that are loath to try and s- squeeze every dime out of everybody, right? So when, when Fergie Jenkins is around, for example, who's in the baseball hall of fame, which we've said is the hardest hall of fame to get into. Fergie Jenkins will sign every autograph for every kid. And I, I applaud that wholeheartedly. That's what should happen. If you're an adult and you want his autograph, you have to pay for it. Now, all the money that he is getting from those autographs is going into his foundation. So it's going into charitable stuff. It's a great story. But kids can get it for free, but adults are going to pay for it. Now, 
I don't get the sense from the times that I've talked to Fergie Jenkins. I don't, I just don't get the sense that he loves squeezing people for the money. It's going to a good cause, but for these guys, there are guys who have no qualms about taking money from people. There's other guys that just feel like they should be doing it because the sport gave a lot to them. Therefore they should give it back. Again, he's doing it for a good reason. But there are Hall of Famers who don't want to be charging people for autographs, don't want to be using it to make money. Classiest former guy I ever golfed with is Bobby Orr at the mm. NHL Alumni Tournament. And we were hitting to a par three, and it was half a dozen kids down waiting for autographs at um, Paintbrush up uh, in Caledon. So, and they come up and ask Mr. Orr if he gives his autograph, and he said, he would, every one of them, sure, son, what's your name? Mm-hmm. No, just sign the picture. No, no, I have to personalize them. So we were done and we moved on and he didn't even sign them all because the kid said no. And I said, what's that? He says, there's a guy waiting for these autographs. He's going to sell them. Yeah, of I'll course. give them to the kid. I'll give it to dear Scott. Best wishes. Hope you're a great hockey player. But he had to personalize it so nobody can make a buck off it. There you go. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.